first time from her womb came the mountains and the rivers. Everyone was spooked. You see, carpenters back then were very superstitious. What are your intentions? Bear said, "Well, ma'am." It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. Such a pleasure for me to be with you every time that you tune in and bring these stories into your home and into your heart. Stories today from Motoko, from Lynn Ford, and from Valentina Ortiz. In fact, to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by Kendra Hanna, one of our assistant producers. Kendra, it's great to have you with me. It's great to be here. Let's talk a little bit about this Valentina Ortiz story. Yeah, absolutely. So this story is a creation story from South America, and I was drawn to it because I had never heard this one before. And I just think that creation stories are fascinating because every culture has one, and they're all different, but they all share common threads. Yeah, they really give you a, a look. At what a particular culture is thinking about, right? Yeah, what they value, what they what they care about. And this story set it up for us just a little bit. How, how, how tell us a little bit about、uh, lead us into the story. All right. So this story is called Nonansin, Mother Earth, and it is about、uh, the goddess Nonansin, who is everyone's mother, and it shows us how the world and everything in it came to be through her、um, through her care and. And giving birth to all that is. Well, the storyteller is Valentina Ortiz, who tells stories in both English and Spanish, and the story is Nonansin, Mother Earth. We're happy to bring it to you here on the Appleseed. Nonansin, the Mother Earth. She is still young. She has given birth three times to great wonders. The first time, takutu takutu takutata, takutu takutu takutata. The first time from her womb came the mountains and the rivers. Takutu takutu takutata, takutu takutu takutata. The second time, takutu 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 ta. The trees and the animals, taku tu taku tu taku 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 tu taku, and the third time, ta tu ka tu ka in tu ka tu ka in tu ka tu ka in tu ka tu ka in, the human beings, the human beings were weak, but they were funny, they were loving, they were witty, and Nonansin really liked them, so much so that Nonansin decided to live next to the village, on a small hill. She built a beautiful little wooden hut. But, kung king king kung no nansin, kung king king kung now kung king king kung is pregnant kung king king kung again. But this pregnancy is strange. After three months, her stomach is the size of a big pumpkin, 
After six months, she is so big she looks like a party piñata ready to be broken. Oh, si vieran, after nine months, she was so large, she could not walk, she could not move, she couldn't even see her feet. Finally, the day of birth came. The women of the village went straight into the mountains very early in the morning to fetch spring water and the herbs needed for the new mother. The men. The men of the village gathered on the hill next to the little hut to Nonansin's house. And they stood there watching the clouds go by, listening to the grass grow, to the breeze whisper in their ears. They stood there just in case something was needed, just in case something went wrong. Soon, from the hut came the piercing screams of labor, tearing the morning sky. Soon from the hut came the piercing cries of labor, sharp as the midday sun. Soon from the hut came the cry of birth, sad like the shriek of the eagle in the empty evening light. The men, the men could breathe through the sounds of pain, but they trembled, they trembled when the silence burst from the hut, the deep, deep silence, dark as the paths of the Mictlan that took you straight to the underworld. The sun went down, the black night draped itself around the hut. And finally, finally the door, the door cracked open, letting out just a few rays of light, a few rays of hope. The men, the men accepted the invitation and went forward into the hut to get to meet the newborn. On one side, they saw Nonansin, the Mother Earth, laying on her petate, licking her wounded body, floating on the scent of ruda and albahaca. And in the middle, in the middle of the hut, stood the women of the village with the newborn babe up high above their heads. Oh, that babe, it was so perfect. It was round, it was firm. On top it had a very delicate neck and its deep, dark brown color. Ha! Nonansin, Nonansin, the Mother Earth, once again had brought wonders to the world. This time, Nonansin had brought no other than the Oya, the clay pot. And from the mouth of the clay pot, came three presents for the humans. The first, the first present, Chimalhuitlenonca, Ipantlaltipatli, Itlaxixihua, Xisintoca, Ximetoca, Xinecuautoca, Yuquitipias, Lenticuas, Ijuantlentimoquentis, Nelhuayotl, Ipantlaltipatli. From the mouth of the clay pot came the frijoles, nourishment for everyone. The grains, the grains fell on the hands of the men and women of the village in their open hands. 
the second present. The second present came from the clay pot. Fuego nuestro padre, tuestas para comer, cinco tamales para renacer. Motlashkuyan totaj, cinco tamales para renacer. Fuego nuestro padre. On the floor fell the bright red embers. The men and women of the village accepted the offering of fire, of heat, of the cooking hearth. And the third present, the third present from the mouth of the pot came. The song in the soul of the men and women of the village fell the words, the words to be sung around the fire at night among the families. The people, the men and women went outside of the hut. They wanted to enjoy their new presence. The fire, the grains, the songs, the clay pot. The women, whew, quickly they learned how to mix all of these. And they made wonderful dishes to feed the heart and the stomach of the people. The children, the children wove their new words into songs, into games, into laughters. And with these, they painted everything that was around them in bright colors. Oh. But something was wrong. People were uneasy. The house of Nonansin, the Mother Earth, the house was silent. Nonansin could not rise. Nonansin could not walk. Nonansin cannot talk. Nonansin cannot laugh. Nonansin, Mother Earth is broken inside. Every morning, the women would go into the new hut and offer her the new dishes they had invented. Madrecita, look, I found a new herb in the mountain and put the epazote in the beans. And oh, they are so good. You should try it, Madrecita. Orele, no Nancy. Orele, madre. Pruebe. The round tortillas. Well, I changed its shape and I put some beans inside. You should see my tlacoyos. They are pretty and they are good. Try the madrecita. Orele, madrecita. But Nonansin cannot eat. In the afternoon, the children will flock into the little house and show her their games, their laughters. Vengase, Nonansin. Vengase a jugar, caray. But Nonansin cannot speak. The men, the men of the village, started to gather on the hill next to the little house. They stood there watching the clouds go by, listening to the grass grow, to the breeze whisper in their ears. They stood there just in case something was needed, just in case something went wrong, just in case. Many days went by. But one morning, a man was so desperate. The man took his shoes off, put his guaraches to one side, and with his bare feet, he started caressing the soil of Mother Earth. The other men 
put their guaraches to one side, and with their bare feet started patting the back of Mother Earth. Patting the back of Mother Earth. Patting the back of Mother Earth. From the hut came the women of the village with their eyes shining in hope and with their men in rhythm with their bare feet. The women, the men, for many, many hours they patted the back of Mother Earth. Patted the back of Mother Earth. Patted the back of Mother Earth. The door of the hut swung open, and there in the middle stood Nonansin, the Mother Earth, larger than ever, beautiful, shining in the sun. And she laughed. She laughed so hard. She looked around, straight to her children, her children who were patting her back, patting her back, patting her back. And she was thankful. She was so grateful for all of those caresses of life that she was receiving. And from that day, the human, the people, whenever they want to change things, whenever they want to celebrate, whenever they want to give thanks to Mother Earth for all that she has given them, well, for many, many hours, the people dance. And they say, that if you look straight into the sun, into the evening sun, and listen, listen very carefully, well, then, you can hear the laughter, the beautiful laughter of Nonansin Mother Earth exploding into the sky. No Nunseen, Mother Earth, told for us by Valentina Ortiz. I've been listening to it, not only with you, but with one of our assistant producers, Kendra Hanna. Kendra, there's a lot to love about that story. Yeah, I think the number one thing that I love about it is the way that the people gather together to help Nunseen when she's she's sick after giving birth again. 
and how they do everything to help her because she has loved them so well yeah. and they want they want to give that back and that just reminds me it reminds me of how I feel about my mom hmm. uh, because like even though I'm an adult now and I haven't lived with her for several years um, whenever I see her I just I feel that love and I remember how well she's cared for me and continues to care for me and yeah. I just want to do that for her too <laughs> <laughs> you know even an ancient legend like this can bring to our minds a lot of thoughts about the relationships that we have like like you say it reminds me of it reminds you of the care that your mother takes with you and your siblings and and I and I think about uh one of the things I love about this story is the introduction of human. The two words that are used to introduce humans right at the beginning of the story are weak and funny. <laughs> <laughs> and accurate. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, weak and funny and, and that non-unseen, that Mother Earth likes them a lot, right? I feel sometimes weak and funny and it's nice to know <laughs> that the creator likes me anyway. Right? But I, I love also all of the rhythms of the story, right, uh, made with hand claps and with mouth noises and things like that. There's just such a rhythm. I mean, there seems to be kind of a rhythm to great storytelling anyway, right? A story has a kind of rhythm. And for this story to bring some of those rhythms right to the front of the storytelling, is it really makes for kind of an exciting storytelling experience. It just draws you right in. Yeah. Well, the storyteller, Valentina Ortiz, the story, Non Unseen Mother Earth. A pleasure to listen to it here with Kendra. Kendra, thanks for joining me. Thank you. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today on The Appleseed. If you're just joining us a moment ago, you heard a story called Non Unseen, Mother Earth, told for you by Valentina Ortiz. And coming up, you got stories from Lynn Ford and Motoko, the wonderful storyteller, and Mime. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes spark a story for you to share with the people that you love, here's a memory of mine. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. Looking back on it, maybe it was a tricky decision for my buddy Rocco. He and I, both in high school, had been hanging out all afternoon watching movies on VHS. And suddenly, there were his folks calling upstairs for him to come immediately to join them at some family activity. I don't even remember what the activity was. They may have been heading to a ball game or a school thing for one of Rocco's siblings. That part of the story hasn't stuck with me. The problem was I didn't have a car or even a driver's license. And the plan had been for Rocco, who had both, to run me home after hanging out at his house. I lived about five miles away. Rocco's parents, calling for him, were getting more and more insistent. And, like I said, maybe Rocco weighed the risk of his next move carefully before he spoke. Maybe he measured out the pros and cons. Maybe at the front of his mind were the potential consequences to him if he didn't respond to his folks immediately and cheerfully. In any case, after whatever weighing of the risks he might have done, he tossed the keys to his car across the room to me and said, "'I gotta go!' I know I was going to give you a ride home, but it doesn't look like I have time. Drive yourself. You can take my car. Well, 
I'm 100% sure Rocco knew I didn't have my driver's license. That's all I know for sure. But among guys without their driver's licenses, there are many types. There's the type of guy that doesn't have a driver's license but drives around on the sly anyway. There's the type of guy that doesn't have a driver's license but drives sometimes around the empty church parking lot for practice with his folks. And, of course, as unlikely as it seems, there's the guy who doesn't have a driver's license and has simply never driven a car, never, ever been behind the wheel. I know that last type of guy exists because I was that type of guy. I guess I don't know what type of guy Rocco was, but if he had known what type of guy I was, how might that have played into his risk assessment when he was contemplating the lending of his car to me? I don't know. I'll never know. But there I was. Rocco's family had taken off, and I was standing alone in the driveway with Rocco's 1985 Dodge Colt. And now it was time for my own risk assessment process. I waited around for another couple of hours until I knew my folks would be in front of a phone that I could call and I could ask them to come get me. Low risk, high boredom, quotient. And besides, I was terribly curious about driving that car. High risk, big challenge, possible exhilaration. I won't tell you more about that risk assessment process except to say that at the end of it all, I climbed into Rocco's car. And my first question was about the pedal to the left of the brake pedal. I had no idea what that pedal was. I was, and I can't believe I'm admitting this out loud, completely in the dark as to the difference between a stick shift and an automatic transmission. But, well, I had to get home. And so to set about the experiment. By the time 15 minutes had gone by... I had figured out that if you hold that left-hand pedal down, you could turn the key and make the engine run. Of course, if I let the left-hand pedal go after that, the engine would clunk to a stop. Another 15 minutes, and I had sussed out that if I kept the gas pedal pressed down and let the left-hand pedal out, I could make the car lurch forward. I still had no idea how all this related to the stick between the seats. Well, I'll spare you the details, but sometime after dark, I had whined and stripped and ground and lurched my way the whole five miles home. My first experience with a stick shift. Heck, my first experience behind the wheel of a car at all. If my parents thought it strange that there was an unusual car in the driver when they got home, they didn't say anything. They found me on the living room sofa reading a book. Rocco himself rode the school bus home with me the next day and fetched his car. If I did irreparable damage to it, he never said anything. But I look back on that evening now, and I shake my head. What a couple of idiots. Rocco, for thinking it was a good idea for him to lend his car to me, and me for thinking, well, what could go wrong? Saved we were, as we so often are by sheer blindness to the idiotic odds we face when we choose to do just about anything, just about anything at all. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. Stories from Lynn Ford and Motoko coming up. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? (laughs) 
Stories come into our lives in so many ways, from families passing them along, telling to telling, from the pages of great books, from radio and podcasts, from songs, and from, of course, the things we see on screen. And exploring all of the ways that great stories get into our hearts and minds is part of what we love here on The Appleseed. And I'm joined by Rod Gustafson, a longtime member of our BYU radio family, producer for a long time of Top of Mind with Julie Rose. And even longer than he's been doing that, of course, he's been watching movies and reviewing them for families. Rod, it's great to have you on The Appleseed. It is great to be here. Thank you, Sam. (laughs) And I I asked Rod a question that you might want to think about with the people that you love. And the question was this. What's one movie that made a movie lover out of you? You know, Sam, I have watched over the years literally thousands of movies, and 99% of them are a blur. But there are certain movies that you see in your life that... You remember the event and what kind of led up to it as well as as much as you remember the movie itself. And one movie that I was so excited to see when I signed up for my blatant plug here. This is not a commercial announcement, (laughs) but I signed up for Disney Plus along with half of the continent. And there was the computer wore tennis shoes. (laughs) And I remember seeing the computer word tennis shoes on the wonderful world of Disney yeah, on Sunday yeah. nights when well, I was a kid. Well, sometimes we could get that and sometimes we couldn't. I grew up on the Canadian prairies in a town of 40 people. Yeah. And we had a television. I remember my dad, he'd stand on the roof twisting that antenna about every two months. My mother loved TV, and we moved from the big city there, and she could only get one channel. So so whether we could see Wonderful World at Disney or not was really a gamble. But when this movie came out, as a little kid, I was about eight years old when it came out, and I'll let the audience do the math, and... I I loved computers, anything to do with electronics. I was crazy about. So this movie came out. And I begged my parents to take me. And the the nearest movie theater was 50 miles away on dirt roads. It's it, this movie, if I remember right, I hope I remember right. I think it came out in the winter. Even if it didn't, it took like six months for a movie to get to this theater <laughs> after it came out in New York and L.A. and whatnot. And so we went Uh, For a drive to this little theater, the plaster literally would fall off the ceiling sometimes if they (laughs) turned up the volume too loud. And I watched The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, and I just loved this movie. This movie was starring uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell in one of those early Kurt Russell roles, Exactly, and it was made in the Disney 1960s days where they had, I think, about eight movies that took place at this fictional Medfield College. (laughs) And it's about this kid who, uh, you know, he's not the brightest bulb on the tree, but there's this computer it, that they want to, they, they wish they had a computer at Medfield. And so this kid gets involved in this, in, with getting this, this scheme to get this computer on campus, but it turns out that the donor is actually involved in a gambling racket. And a big lightning storm happens. That and, sounds exactly like every Disney movie from that era. Right? Yes, exactly. And Kurt <laughs> Russell turns into a talking computer. That's right. And yeah. uh, and the biggest thing I remember about about this movie is uh, he's in the middle of this quiz show where they're going to win, I think it's $100,000 for the school or something. And like I say, usually this kid's not the brightest bulb, but he gets on, on this quiz show with different high schools yeah. competing. Somehow he flukes his way in there. And he suddenly starts reciting 
all of the uh, bookies' secret information that was in his computer that's now in his head. And I remember him going, Apple, Jack, 6514. I don't remember the number, but all of these secret, you know, codes and whatnot that were going on. And you were, and you were a I computer lover. Uh-huh. Going to the movies was mm-hmm. a big deal. Yes. Uh, and, and this is one of the movies that made a movie lover out it of you. It really did. It made, well, even more than making a movie lover out of me, it made me convinced I wanted to work with computers. Mm. And a couple of years later, using some spare parts, I was starting to wire together a computer in the middle of the country, in the middle of the Canadian prairies. It, it was just weird, Sam. <laughs> but I, that really got me convinced that I want a job where, at the very least, I'm pushing buttons and uh, and doing this type of thing. Uh, you know, you're and making so it me really remember. changed my life. Yeah, <laughs> when I was a kid, you you never know what's going to spark a memory. And as you uh-huh. talk about this, I'm remembering a Christmas when I was interested in computers as well. It was it you know, computers were just being made available to individuals. You know, yeah. the, the era of the personal computer, yes. right? Yes. And I was just kind of on fire about that. Oh, I and remember, I remember that. buying a a a gift for every one of my siblings and my parents one Christmas, and that year it was books. I bought mm-hmm. books for everybody, and I bought a book for my brother, and I bought a book for my sister, and I bought. And, but the but the book that I bought for my parents was a magazine on personal computing. Oh, <laughs> thank you, son. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because I thought maybe they would catch fire too, and there would be a personal computer in our home. I, I'm sure they were really excited yeah. to read the first edition of Byte magazine yes. or whatever it was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always interesting to hear about the movies that turn us into movie lovers, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And, and it's and, different for every person. Yeah, what really fun is. to hear that for yeah. you it was the computer work well, tennis and, shoes. And then the topping on the cake that night in the theater in Oyen, Alberta, and if anybody from Oyen's listening, they'll be excited to hear their, their town <laughs> on radio, um, in Oyen, Alberta, Canada, was The Projectionist. For some reason, I must have looked like, you know, I had the big, thick glasses as the typical stereotype. He says, son, would you like to see the projection room? Oh, would I? <laughs> and so I got to go up there and look at the projection room. And I thought, so between computers and broadcasting and film and everything else, here I am. That movie made made all the parts of you. <laughs> it did. It did. And that's why eight-year-olds should get tours of Anything they want to see because it'll change their life. <laughs> you know, uh, these are days when you can access a lot of the movies that for a lot of your life you couldn't access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? yeah. And the computer wore tennis shoes is available in a lot of different it places. Is. It is. This on is one that a lot of parents platforms. are going to go, oh, I remember uh-huh. that movie. Yeah. And a lot of kids should be introduced oh, to yeah. a little early Kurt Russell. What a pleasure Absolutely. to have you on today, Rod. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such a pleasure to chat with Rod Gustafson about an old favorite film. Lots more coming up here on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. Such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. Up next, kind of a spooky tale from the wonderful storyteller and mime Motoko. It's called The Tale of a Kokeshi Doll, here on The Appleseed.
in the spring of the year of Horeki, about 250 years ago, a large bridge was being built over Yahagi River, the second largest river in Japan, in the city of Hama. They needed many workers from all around the countryside to help complete this massive project. In a small village up the same river, there lived a carpenter named Takumi. Takumi wanted to help build the bridge and earn some money for his family. So he left his wife and young daughter at home and traveled down the river to join the construction team. There were hundreds of carpenters, masons, and other types of laborers. Because Takumi was skilled, he was made a foreman in charge of building the foundation of the bridge on the west side of the river. Day after day, from dawn to dusk, Takumi supervised his group of about 50 men, carrying heavy stones, cutting lumber, and building scaffolds. The work was hard, and Takumi missed his family. But the thought of earning enough money for food for his family, and maybe even a brand new kimono for his little daughter, kept him going. Early one evening after work, when all his workers had left for the day, Takumi was sitting on the grassy river bank to rest. There he saw what looked to be a child's toy boat floating down the river with a doll on it. Takumi grabbed a stick and pulled the toy boat to the shore. The boat was just a wooden board. But carefully tied to it with a vine was a beautiful wooden kokeshi doll with jet black hair, half closed eyes, and a peaceful smile. Being a carpenter, Takumi could tell that the doll was exquisitely made from cherry tree. This will be a perfect gift for my daughter, he thought, and brought the doll back to his inn. Where he was staying. He placed the doll in the corner of the room, right next to his sleeping mattress. That night, around midnight, Takumi was awakened by an eerie singing voice. At first, he thought he was dreaming. Then he realized that the voice was actually coming from the door. Takumi felt a slight chill down his spine. But he was a brave man. Not easily frightened. This doll was not an ordinary doll, but an enchanted one, created perhaps by a powerful priest or sorcerer. Takumi reached over, picked up the doll, and it began to speak. Ichihara Mori, 59. Rokujo Yasuko, 
47. Hatanaka Saemon 75. Igawa Mie 38. The dolls seem to be saying random people's names and numbers. Takumi did not recognize any of the names. What does this all mean? He wondered. The doll kept speaking for a few hours, saying hundreds of names. Then it sang the song again and became quiet. Fascinated and curious, Takumi decided to keep the doll. He wanted to speak to someone about it, but the next day at the construction site, it somehow seemed silly to speak of a doll. So he said nothing. That night, the same thing happened. At midnight, the doll began to sing. Takumi picked up the doll and listened. Yamanaka Sayo. 49. Igawa Zaemon 63. Tokunaga Naosuke 58. The doll's innocent voice was clear as bell. And this time, Takumi did recognize one name Tokugawa Naosuke. That name belonged to the mayor of Hama City. Who was rumored to be very ill. Takumi wondered what that meant. He kept listening, but there were no more familiar names that night. The next morning at work, Takumi was shocked to hear from the other workers that Mayor Tokunaga had passed away the night before at the age of 58. Could this mean that all the other people the doll named had died also? Was the doll announcing who would die that night? That night, Takumi did not sleep a wink. He stayed up till dawn, listening with a terrified concentration. This time he thought he recognized one or two names, but he could not be sure. The doll said thousands of names. I cannot take this anymore, Takumi thought, exhausted. I must get rid of this doll. The next morning, on his way to work, Takumi threw the doll into a bush. That day, at the half completed bridge, he was so weary from lack of sleep, he could hardly focus. The doll's relentless voice seemed to haunt him every moment. Watch out! The shout from another worker startled him awake when an iron hammer landed right next to him with a thud, barely missing his head. Who, who dropped this? But when everyone looked up at the 50 foot scaffold, no one was there. Everyone was spooked. You see, carpenters back then were very superstitious. Takumi went back to the inn early that afternoon, completely worn out, 
and fell into his sleeping mattress. He slept fitfully into the night, but then, the doll was back. Takumi jumped up and looked around frantically. There he was standing right next to his sleeping mattress. Did someone see him throw the doll away and put it back in his room? Or did the doll travel on its own? He was ever more determined to get rid of the doll now. Early next morning, just before dawn, Takumi saw a group of merchants who were also staying at the same inn, packing up and getting ready to leave. They were traveling on horseback and also had a wagon pulled by a horse. Takumi overheard their conversation and found out that the group was in a big hurry to reach the city of Nagoya by sunset. As they left the courtyard, Takumi casually walked by and threw the doll into their wagon. There, he thought, sighing with relief, the doll will be 50 miles away by nightfall. Another clear and sunny day at work? Something unthinkable happened. Takumi went up the scaffold to check on something, and he happened to be the only one up there when he heard a snap and a crack. The board he was standing on gave way. The 50-foot scaffold that was designed to support the weight of 10 men suddenly collapsed with a thunderous crash. Gata 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 gata! When Takumi came to himself, he was lying in his room at the inn. His workers had carried him back. A doctor they had called was putting bandages on his arm. What? What happened to me? <gasps> he gasped in pain. It was a terrible accident. You are lucky to get away with just a concussion and a broken arm. The doctor explained. You could have been killed. It was a miracle that no one else was hurt. Thank you, doctor. Takumi tried to rise, supporting himself with his good arm, when suddenly a terrifying sight caught his eye. The doll was standing right there. Its black slits of eyes seemed to be looking straight into his. <gasps> what? What is wrong? The doctor, alarmed by his horror, turned around to look. His own face paled at the sight of the doll, and he backed away fearfully. This is a very dangerous thing you have, the doctor said. This is the doll that announces death. I have heard of powerful priests up north who practice this kind of sorcery. Where did you get it? Takumi told the doctor the whole story. The doctor said, I see. This doll came to you. Now that you picked it up, it likes you. It will bring you a great misfortune if you try to destroy it or throw it away. I know. Takumi shuddered as he remembered 
he almost got killed twice. What, what shall I do, doctor? I am going to send you to my aunt. She's a nun at a temple at the foot of Minobe Mountain. It's half a day's journey from here. Can you go? Takumi left immediately. When he reached the temple, he showed the doll to the old nun. The old woman said, You have come to me just in time. If you don't get rid of this doll right away, it will not be long till it announces your own name. You see, there is only one correct way to get rid of this type of doll. You must do what the person who owned the doll before you did and put it respectfully on the wooden board and take it to the river and let it go down the stream. But why? What does that mean? Takumi was confused. You see, this is a doll with a doll's heart. You must play with it as if you are a little boy, and that will comfort the doll's heart. Then you must turn away from it, pretending to be distracted. Walk away slowly without looking back. That way you can accidentally lose the poor doll, the way a little child might. The magic doll will believe that it was lost by accident. It will forgive you and will not bring misfortune to you. Takumi was relieved to hear this. He brought the doll back to the river and using a vine, gently tied it to a wooden board. Then he talked to the doll and played with it as if he was a little boy. Then he let the doll go, pretending to be distracted by someone's voice. He turned away. Without looking back, he returned home to his wife and little daughter. After that, it is said that Takumi never traveled far from home. He stayed close to his family and only worked locally, knowing that life is but a precious moment before death. The Tale of the Kokeshi Doll, told for you by Motoko, the wonderful storyteller and mime. Always a pleasure to hear something from Motoko. And our last story for you today is a rabbit tale from storyteller Lynn Ford. As Rabbit prepares to propose to Miss Molly, his sweetheart, another contender shows up. And as the two suitors compete for Miss Molly's hand in marriage, their wits and talents will be put to the test. Will Rabbit prove himself and get to marry Miss Molly? You're going to find out in this story called The Sing by Lynn Ford, here on The Appleseed. They say when Rabbit was a young man and was courting Miss Molly, he had a really hard time. See, he would walk up on the front porch and sit down there, and Miss Molly's mama would be sitting in her rocking chair. Sometimes she'd be stitching up a quilt, and sometimes she'd just be drinking a little bit of lemonade, but... She would watch over things as was proper. And Rabbit would sit there in the porch swing next to Miss Molly, and he just couldn't think of anything to say to her because she was so cute. He'd giggle, and <laughs> she'd giggle, <laughs> and he'd giggle. 
She'd giggle. He'd giggle. She'd giggle. Till finally Miss Molly's mama would say, shut up. That's enough of that. Well, this day, that's what was going on. They were just giggling and grinning at one another, and Rabbit was trying to get up the nerve to ask for Miss Molly's hand in marriage when along came Brother Bear. He had the very same idea, and he walked up on that porch, yanked Brother Rabbit up by his ears, threw him down on the ground, blam, and sat down next to Miss Molly. Now, Miss Molly's mama didn't like that any more than she liked all that silly giggling, and she said, well, wait just a minute. What are your intentions? Bear said, well, ma'am, I want to ask if I can marry Miss Molly. And Rabbit jumped up. Whoa, now, wait a minute. That's what I wanted to do, too. I just didn't get around to it yet. Well, Miss Molly's mama said, I'll take care of this. I will settle this situation. Molly, which one of these two do you want to marry? And all Miss Molly said was... (laughs) (laughs) Miss Molly's mama said, shut up. I'll figure it out. She looked at those two and she said, well, first of all, I got to make sure that you have some kind of brains in your silly heads. So I think we'll have a little competition. We'll have a sing. You two are going to walk away from here, and you're going to make up a song. You're not going to find a song. You're not going to buy a song. You're going to make one up with your own little heads. And then you're going to come back here tomorrow evening. You're going to sing your songs for Molly and me and the whole community. And whichever one sings a song intelligent enough to make others interested in it will be the one to be my son-in-law. And Rabbi said, yes, ma'am. And Bear said, yes, ma'am. And they both walked away from there thinking about the sing the next night. Now, Bear couldn't think of a single thing to sing about. He walked along thinking and couldn't get his brain to working, and as he moved along, he realized he was close to Ms. Mockingbird's home. So he walked up to the tree where Ms. Mockingbird had her nest, and he banged his fist up against the wood, bump, 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 until Ms. Mockingbird stuck her head out of the hole in the tree. He said, uh, Ms. Mockingbird, I need a song. Miss Mockingbird said, well, think of one. I can't think of anything to sing about. Would you give me one of your songs? You got the prettiest songs in the whole community. Could you give me one? Well, I could, said Miss Mockingbird, but then it wouldn't be your song. I already heard about the sing. News travels fast in the air, and I know I'm not supposed to give you a song, so think of one. Well, Bear started shaking that tree and pounding his fist up against the side of it, balamity, 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 shaking that tree so hard Miss Mockingbird was afraid for her nest. And finally she said, All right, Brother Bear, stop all of this. I will give you a song. And she flew down and whispered something in Brother Bear's ear. Bear said, oh, that's pretty. Thank you. And he walked away.
thinking on that song that he'd just stolen. And in the meantime, Rabbit had been moving along, and he had a few ideas, but he was so nervous because he loved little Miss Molly so much, he just couldn't put the ideas together. And he walked up to the same tree, knocked on the side of that tree trunk. Miss Mockingbird stuck her head out again. She said, now, what do you want? He said, Miss Mockingbird, I need a little bit of help. I need a song for the sing to my... Don't tell me anything about it. Think of a song for yourself. Well, Miss Mockingbird, said Rabbit, I have been thinking on it, and I got some ideas, but I just don't know what to do with them. Miss Mockingbird said, well, you need to listen to your heart. You need to use your head. Think about all the experience of your life and all the experience of your family and you'll come up with a song. And that's all she did for Rabbit. And the next evening came. The whole community had gathered around Miss Molly's mama's house, and there was also Reverend Owl, ready to perform the wedding ceremony if a son-in-law was chosen. And Miss Molly was sitting there in her prettiest little pink dress. She'd combed her ears and put a little makeup on her little pink nose, and she was just grinning and giggling. (laughs) And it was time for the sing. Molly's mama said, Who wants to go first? And before Rabbit could open his mouth, Bear said, Me, because I got the bestest song in the whole wide world. And he stood up proudly in a brand new suit, and he sang the song that he'd taken from Ms. Mockingbird. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Tweet, 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 tweet. And folks started giggling right along with Miss Molly. And some folks just chuckled and grinned, and some fell on the ground and started rolling around laughing and crying at the same time. Did you hear what he did? And he thought that was his song. (laughs) But Miss Molly's mama wasn't smiling at all. She just said, next. And Rabbit stood up in his finest suit, and he began to sing a song that he'd made up himself a song that came from his experience and the experience of his family. My father ate at the garden gate. My father ate at the garden gate. The rabbits skip, the rabbits hop, the rabbits eat up the turnip tops. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, as he sang his uh-huhs, folks started rocking back and forth. They were going uh-huh, uh-huh, right along with him. Folks started clapping. Folks got up and started doing a little dancing. Rabbit kept on singing. The rabbits skip, the rabbits hop, the rabbits eat up the turnip tops. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The floor started bumping and thumping and jumping in Ms. Molly's mama's house, and folks outside were dancing together in a circle, dancing all around the house, having a wonderful time going, Sing, Brother Rabbit, sing, so you know who won the sing. That night, under a full moon, Reverend Owl married Rabbit and little Miss Molly. 
and they went away and made their new home with all the experience that they had and the experience of their families. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Lynn Ford with the story The Sing. What a pleasure to bring you a rabbit tale from that great storyteller. Always a pleasure to have you with us. And before we go, we want to remind you that you can visit us at byuradio.org slash service to find out about a special project that we're engaged in all the way through October 15th. We're trying to rack up 10,000 acts of service as an Appleseed family and as a larger BYU radio family. And again, I'm Sam Payne. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. Can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.